Section 71 of the Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3 by George W. M. Reynolds. Chapter 69. Misery and Vice. A week had elapsed since the perpetration of the atrocity described in the preceding chapter. The scene changes to a miserable garret in one of the foul courts leading out of King Street, St. Giles's. It was about eight o'clock in the evening, and the rain pattered on the roof and against the little window of the wretched room, which, small as it was, was scarcely lighted by the candle that flickered with the draught gushing in from beneath the door. On a mean and sordid mattress stretched upon the floor, and with but a thin and torn blanket to cover him, lay a man who was not in reality above five-and-twenty but who seemed nearly double that age, so ghastly was his countenance, and so attenuated was his form with sickness and want. Near him a young female, almost a mere girl, was seated on a broken chair. Her apparel was mean and so scanty that she shivered with the cold, and though the traces of famine and care were plainly visible upon her features, yet they had not carried their ravages so far as to efface the prettiness which naturally characterized the composition of that countenance. Beautiful she was not, nor ever had been, but good-looking she decidedly was, and though attired almost in rags and with an expression of profound misery upon her face, there was something interesting in the appearance of that poor creature. The reader will remember that in the earlier chapters of this tale we introduced him to one of those dens of iniquity called Low Lodging Houses in Castle Street, Longacre, and he will also recollect that a mock marriage took place in that padding ken between a thief, called Josh Pedler, and a poor laborer's daughter named Matilda Briggs. The man lying on the mattress in the garret was Josh Pedler, and the girl sitting near him was Matilda Briggs. "'Well, now,' suddenly exclaimed Pedler, as he raised himself with difficulty to a sitting posture, "'what do you say in answer to my last question? Are we to die of starvation, or are we to have bread by some means or another?' Matilda burst into tears and wrung her hands bitterly. "'Don't sit whimpering there, damn your eyes,' cried the ruffian. "'Blubbering won't do no good, and you know that as well as me. "'Here I have been on my beam-ends, as one might say, for the last three weeks, "'and unable to go about to pick up a single farthing. "'The landlord swears he will have some money tomorrow morning. "'All the things is pawned. And here am I, only wanting a little proper nourishment to set me on my legs again, but that I can't get. God knows I have starved myself to give you all I could, Josh, said Matilda, her voice broken with frequent and agonizing sobs. When you have asked me if I had kept enough meat or bread for myself, I always answered yes, and I turned my back towards you that you mightn't see how much, or rather how little, I had kept back. But what can I do? My father and mother are gone back into the country to throw themselves on their parish. I have no friends to apply to, and yours seem unable to assist you at present. Something must be done, Tilda, said the man. We can't starve. We must do anything rather than that. I am as hungry as the very devil now, and I know that if I had a good steak and some porter it would put me all right again. But, my God, we have not even the means to buy a penny roll, almost shrieked the young woman. There isn't a thing left to pawn. I have nothing but this old gown on my back. Everything else has gone. Gone, she added hysterically as she threw a wild glance around the naked and dismantled garret. 
How cold it is, too! What can we do? What can we do? And she rocked herself to and fro in a manner denoting an utter despair. You keep asking what can be done, said Josh Pedler brutally, and yet you know all the time there's only one thing to be done and that it must come to that at last. Matilda started and turned a glance of horrified amazement upon her companion. Well, so I suppose you understand what I mean, continued the ruffian, and therefore there's no use in gammoning about it no longer. We're starving and there's the rent to pay. That's one side of the question. You're a good-looking young woman and can do as other women do. That's t'other side of the question. Oh, Josh! And would you have me become a prostitute? shrieked Matilda in a tone of mingled horror and reproach. Come, none of your nonsense, my lady, said Josh Pedler, or I shall precious soon know how to settle your hash. Either go and earn some tin or cut your luck altogether. If I starve, I'll starve by myself. My God, I will not abandon you, murmured the unhappy young creature, terrified by this menace of separation from one to whom she had grown greatly attached. No, I cannot. I will not leave you, Josh. And yet— Let's have no more of this humbug, Tilda, exclaimed the man brutally. Leave off whimpering, or ill as I am, I'll give you something worth crying for. Come, put on your bonnet and tramp, or by hell, oh, you could not. You would not do me a mischief, she cried, clasping her hands together. And if I obey you now in what you have ordered me to do, shall you not hate and detest me ever afterwards? Not a bit of it, returned Josh Pedler, softening a little as he perceived that his point was already well-nigh gained. For the poor young woman found powerful incentives to yield to the commands of the ruffian, she herself being almost famished. Not a bit of it, he repeated. You ought to have turned out when I was first taken ill, and then if I'd had common necessaries, I should have got well by this time. So be a good girl, and see if you can't bring back something good to eat and drink, and a trifle to pay the landlord. With a bursting heart, Matilda rose from her seat and put on her bonnet and her scanty shawl, poor rag which the pawnbroker had refused to advance a single penny upon. Give us a kiss afore you go, old gal, said Josh Pedler, by way of affording her some encouragement to begin the frightful course of prostitution to which he strove to urge her. She bent down and pressed her lips upon his forehead, murmuring, Are you sure that you will not loathe me afterwards? Don't have any more of that gammon, Tilda, he cried, but cut along or I shall be tempted to bite a piece out of your face. I'm so thundering hungry. Matilda shuddered from head to foot and rushed from the room. As she was about to quit the house, a door in the passage opened, and a stout, ill-looking fellow without a coat and smoking a short pipe came forth, exclaiming, "'Ah, I knowed it was you by your sneaking step. Now I tell you what it is, Mrs. Pedler. If so be I don't have my rent or a good part on to-night, you and your man must tramp before I shuts up. I've got people as will be glad to have an airy and comfortable room like yourn, and as will pay. Leastways I'll get rid of you.' Matilda stayed to hear no more, but rushed wildly from the house, the threat of the landlord ringing like the knell of hope in her ears. She observed not which direction she was pursuing. She saw not the passengers who jostled her on either side. Her eyes were open, and yet the surrounding and the passing objects formed only one vast void, one tremendous blank to her. Her pace was hurried like that of a person intent on some important mission, and having some defined and positive end in view. And yet she had even forgotten the motive that had sent her forth into the streets that evening to dare the cold wind and face the pattering rain. 
she who had but so scanty a clothing to protect her. There was a humming noise in her ears, but she could not discriminate the sounds of voices from the roll of carriages, and even when she crossed a street it was through no caution exercised on her part that she was not ran over. At last her ideas began to assume a more settled shape, and her thoughts, rescuing themselves as it were from utter confusion, settled gradually down into their proper cells in the brain, the racking brain which held them. She walked slower and with more apparent uncertainty of aim. Objects assumed a defined shape to her eyes, and her ears recognized the various sounds which raised the echoes of the streets. At length she stood still in the midst of Holborn, and tears burst from her eyes, for now she remembered that she was there, there in the wide and open thoroughfare to commence the dread avocation of a prostitute. She shuddered from head to foot, but with no ordinary tremor. It was a convulsion which began at the very heart and vibrated with electric rapidity and spasmodic violence throughout the entire form. "'Now then, young woman, out of the vey!' cried a porter, carrying a huge load upon his head. And like a startled deer, Matilda hurried along. She glanced to the left and to the right, and beheld magnificent shops teeming with merchandise and crowded with purchasers. She lingered in front of the pastry-cook's establishments, and she stopped to devour with her eyes the smoking joints, the piles of vegetables, and the large tins full of pudding in the windows of the eating-houses. But she knew it was useless to implore a meal, and moreover it was something beyond food that she required. For money to pay her heartless landlord she must have. She resumed her mournful, melancholy walk, now slow in pace and drooping in gait. Time was wearing on. Nine o'clock would soon strike, and if she were ever to take the first step in a loathsome trade, now was the moment. Think not, reader, that because this young woman had become the mistress of a thief and had passed through all the training of a low lodging-house and several weeks of misery and want, think not that she was prepared to rush at once and in a moment on a career of public prostitution. No. She was attached to her lover in the first place. And secondly, she was no brazen-faced slut whose mind had derived coarseness from intemperance or callousness from ill-treatment. She shrank from the path which alone seemed open to her. She recoiled from the ways into which a stern necessity commanded her to enter. While she was endeavouring to subdue the bitterness of the reflections which crowded upon her soul, a young woman scarcely a year older than herself accosted her and said, "'My dear, are you come on this beat to be one of us?' Matilda saw by a glance that the female was one of the lowest class of prostitutes, and she burst into tears. "'Oh! Then you are come out for that purpose,' exclaimed the other. "'Well, you must pay your footing at all events,' and making a signal to several of her friends who stood at a short distance, she cried, "'Here's a precious lark, a gal which wants to be one of us, and is blubbering at it.' Matilda was now surrounded by loose women who vowed she should treat them or they would tear her eyes out. Vainly did she protest that she had no money, tears and remonstrances were of no avail, and the prostitutes were growing more clamorous, for it must be remembered there were no new police in those days, when an old man decently dressed but horribly ugly stopped near the group and asked what was the matter. "'Here's a young gal which wants to go upon the town and can't pay her footing,' explained one of the loose women, "'and so she shan't come on our beat.' "'Come, come,' said the old man, "'don't tease the poor thing. Which is she?' Oh, rather good-looking. Well, my dears, here's half a crown for you to get something to drink, and I'll get the young woman to take a little walk along with me. Thus speaking, the old man handed the coin to the girl who had given him the above-recorded explanation, 
and she and her friends were too much rejoiced at the receipt of this unexpected donation to trouble themselves further concerning Matilda Briggs. When the loose women had disappeared, the old man turned towards Matilda and said, Take my arm, my dear, and I'll conduct you to a nice place where we can have a chat together for a half an hour or so, and I'll make you a present of half a guinea before we part. The unfortunate girl obeyed in silence, but not quite mechanically. Gratitude for the seasonable assistance she had received from the old man and the idea of obtaining enough money not only to buy food, but also liquidate the greater portion of the arrears of rent due to the merciless landlord, were powerful motives to stifle compunctious feelings in her breast. The old man was one of those sexagenarian voluptuaries who dishonor gray hairs, one of those hoary sinners who prowl about the streets after dusk to pick up girls of tender age and who seldom choose females of ripe years. Under ordinary circumstances this old man would not have bestowed the slightest notice upon Matilda, because she was between fifteen and sixteen, and he affected children of eleven and twelve. But the incident which had brought them together had given him a sudden zest for novelty, and thus the grey-headed reprobate, who was old enough to be Matilda's great-grandfather, tucked her under his arm and led her off to the nearest brothel, with which he was acquainted. It was eleven o'clock when the door of the garret in which Josh Pedler was lying opened abruptly, and Matilda made her appearance. "'Well, what news?' demanded the man anxiously. "'You've left me long enough.' "'I could not return sooner,' answered the young woman in a hoarse and strangely altered tone. "'But sit up and eat your fill, Josh, for here is a good plate of meat.' "'And the landlord,' interrupted the thief joyfully, "'is paid every farthing.' I have earned a sovereign by yielding to the hideous embraces of an old man, she added in a tone expressive of deep and concentrated emotion, an old man whose touch was horrible as the pawings of an imp or some filthy monster. But he gave me double what he first promised, and now you may eat if you can, she exclaimed with a hysterical laugh. And you will sit down and eat with me, Tilda, said the thief in a coaxing tone, for now he saw that his mistress might become serviceable to him and he was anxious to conciliate her. No, not a morsel, she replied impatiently. I am not hungry now. Besides, even if I was, it would seem to me that I was eating my own flesh and blood. But I have got some spirits in a bottle, Josh, and I can drink a drop with you. I thought you didn't like spirits, Tilda, observed the man, contemplating with some degree of alarm her pale countenance on which there appeared an expression of settled despair. Oh, I dare say I shall like spirits well enough now, she said. At all events, I feel an inclination for them tonight. But come, sit up and eat. Thus speaking, she spread open a large brown paper parcel before the thief, whose eyes sparkled when he beheld a quantity of slices of recently cooked meat, a loaf of bread, and some cheese. Forgetting how the viands were procured, Josh Pedler began to devour them with the voracity of one who had fasted a long time, and Matilda hastened to fetch him some beer. When she returned she sat down and drank two glasses of raw gin, with but a few moments' interval between the drams, and then bursting out into a hysterical laugh she said, Blue ruin is capital stuff. I feel myself fit for anything now. That's right, old gal, cheer up, exclaimed Josh Pedler. Take another glass and then you'll be able to eat a bit of this meat. Well, perhaps I may, cried Matilda. I was tipsy when you and me were married by the old parson in the padding ken, and I'll be tipsy tonight as it's the first of a new period of my life. Damn it, you are coming out strong, Tilda, ejaculated Josh Pedler. Blue ruin, padding ken, why I never heard you patter flash before. Oh, you don't know what you may see me do yet, said the young woman in a voice indicative of unnatural excitement. 
And what does it matter? Perhaps you'll hear me cursing and swearing tomorrow. Anything, anything, she added, her voice changing to a tone of deep, intense feeling. Anything, so long as one can only grow hardened. And having tossed off a third glass of liquor, she accepted and ate the portion of food that Josh Pedler handed to her, although but a few minutes before she recoiled from it as if it were her own flesh and blood. Now you are acting like a sensible woman, said Josh, and you make me feel more comfortable. But when you first come in, I couldn't make out what the devil possessed you. You looked all queer-like, just as if you was going to commit suicide. Suicide? Ha ha! laughed Matilda strangely. Well, I did think of it as I was coming home, but I remembered that you was here, hungry, starving, and too ill to get up and shift for yourself. So I came back, Josh. But won't you have some gin? You don't know what good it does one. If I had only taken some before I went out just now, that is, if I had had the money to buy it, I shouldn't have gone whimpering along the street as I did. No wonder all the poor girls who walk the pavement drink so much gin. I am already quite another person. I do declare that I could sing. But here comes someone up the stairs. It can't be for us. Yes, it is, though, said Josh Pedler, as the heavy steps of a man halted at the door to which a fist was applied by no means lightly. Come in. The visitor obeyed this invitation without farther ceremony, and the moment Josh caught sight of his countenance, he cried joyfully, Tim the Snammer. End of section 71. Recording by Philip Gould.